We welcome you to the media ministries of the Gathering Church in the Countryside YMCA of Mainville. As we love the Lord and each other, we're trusting that God would use us to plant a church in every YMCA around the world. To this end, would you join us? We meet on Sundays at 10 a.m. and in community groups throughout the week. As you listen to this resource, our prayer is that your love for Jesus would grow deep and your love for others would be seen and heard. Let's start with a little review, shall we? This is kind of like a, a quarantine COVID days for our church. Um, all right, so a little review. Last week, we ended chapter 10 and we saw some beautiful things. We, we started with chapter 1 and chapter 16. We saw some common themes in the beginning of the letter, the end of the letter, and then we went to chapter 10. We read our text. And we saw it started and ended with the same thing. What was it? It was called the obedience of? Yes, someone said it. Come on, come on. Of faith, that's right. Good. So Romans has this common purpose and theme that he's writing to a church, to a people, and he wants to prod and encourage and exhort and tell them to endure because they have a common faith. They have a common righteousness in Christ and he is calling them to obey their master and king, Jesus. All right, pretty good. Um, next question. We saw that Israel rejected the Lord in our passage last week. And there was, there was really two points. One was about an ear. One was about a light bulb. So here's the question. Second question. Did Israel have a hearing problem? No, they did not. You're right. They didn't have a hearing problem. Okay. Next question. Did they have an understanding problem? Was it an intellectual problem that they rejected the Lord? Were they just not that smart? They just, not, they just didn't get it. Maybe if they took a couple more courses or something, then they would follow their master God. Was it a head problem? No, it was willingly. It was volitional. It was deliberate. They rejected God. Israel's purpose was to be a light to the Gentiles. And now the church has that same purpose, to be a light to the world. So here's the question. How does the church be a light to the world? We studied in Romans 10, 17, that faith comes through. That's right. So how does the church be a light to the world? They've got to deliver the gospel, yes, by deeds, but that faith comes through hearing. So we've got to be people of the word with words. We've got to speak the message of the gospel. Otherwise, we won't see any conversions. That is our calling. That's our calling, and that's our prayer that we would. Um, and so last year we ended, or last year, last week we ended our time with just like, hey, if faith comes through hearing, and if you have been given the torch of the gospel to carry it, who are some people in your life that God has laid on your heart? Who has he especially like put on your heart or given you the burden for? Like, what are their names? I think it's a good prayer request. Even as, as we grow in deeper community, grow in deeper friendship, 
to share, hey, so-and-so, hey, John, hey, Sally, hey, Sarah, would you pray for me this week that I would fulfill the mission of God in my life, in my work, in my home, you know, at school, with my friends, that I would be a light. Would you pray for me that I would have the opportunity to share the gospel? That, my friends, is a great prayer request for each other as a church. Yes, it's a good prayer request to say, hey, would you pray for my knee that's hurting or, you know, for this hard situation. But also, God calls us to lift our chins, to lift our heads, to lift our eyes to the harvest and to share the gospel so that we might see some come to know him. So it's a great charge that we had last Amen. So prior to jumping into Romans 11, um, I, I want to share two things that are not um, the main message of Romans 11. So go ahead and open your Bibles. I want to point out a few things so that you can, you can see it. It's not, it's not the main point of the message, but we can certainly learn from it. So this is Romans 11. Paul read it. Go ahead and take a minute and look at verse 2 with me. It says, God has not rejected His people whom He foreknew. Do you not know what the Scripture says? Look at verse 4 with me. Paul says, but what was God's reply to him? Go ahead and look at verse 8. We're just skimming through it. It says, as it is written. You notice how Anytime, we've seen this throughout the book of Romans, anytime that Paul brings up a question, anytime that there's a question, rather than um, injecting human wisdom or um, his own cool creative ideas, he says, hey, let's look at the Bible. So if we could just leave the, today with just that in our conversations today and this week, in our interactions, when a question comes up, rather than jumping and answering it with either your own personal experience or, or, or your own personal wisdom, let's be people of the book and, and model Paul's ministry. He just keeps on doing it and doing it and doing it. He, he raises a question and then goes, well, let's see what has already been said about it in the Scriptures. What a great model of ministry for us, right? What a great like glimpse into uh, Paul's conversations. On a personal level, um, that's not just for ministry to others, but if you have a question about life, if you're wondering, like, what should I do about this? If you're looking for guidance, um, Josh and Miranda did a great job just choosing the songs this morning to remind us, and hopefully with the prayer that those songs would get stuck in your head, in your heart this week. You are to call upon the Lord. How do I do that? I mean, you cry out to Him in prayer, and then what more could He say than to you He hath said? He's given you the Scriptures to go to it to receive guidance. 
He's given you the Spirit to lead you. So what a great model to start off that we can run to the Scriptures for our source, our guidance. Christ is our anchor. Amen? That was the first thing, okay? The second thing is, hey, if you don't know the Lord, okay? If you've never repented of your sin and placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, um, the, the Bible says that you are experiencing a sort of um, spiritual blindness or a spiritual deafness. And so all the things that are about to come in the Scriptures um, um, might seem muted to you. Um, you might not be altogether interested. Or you might even receive Romans 11, 1 through 10 this morning as a nice historical lesson on the nation of Israel. But to those who do know the Lord, that they are hungry to hear about what God has done and what God will do. Eagerness within the people of God that is brought about by the Spirit of God. So to encourage you, if you don't know the Lord, you can know Him. Like you, you don't have to pretend to do you don't have to wait till you're old enough or good enough or like smart enough till you have to gather enough. All you have to do is be honest with God and say, you know what, Lord? I don't have it all together. I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. I've blown it. So many times I've laid so many lands my, in my life and I need you to cover them up and to cover myself. Jesus. Lord, would you forgive me my sins? I place my faith and trust in you. And when you, with your heart, believing, believing is according to a set of facts, believing is committing your life to Jesus. It's giving your life to him and saying, hey, you want, I'm in. I want to follow you. That's, that's the Christian life. If you are not in Christ, if you invite you to know him, even today. And guess what? Even if this text doesn't make a whole lot of sense to you, God has used random texts all throughout scripture to save wretches just like me. And he might just use this text today in your life. So I'm excited. Are you? Let's jump in. Let's jump in. Um, the text title today is called, Has God Rejected His People? Has God Rejected His People? And there are two um, points that will govern or guide our time. The first one is, number one, personal evidence, which is just verse one. He's just answering it. Hey, has God rejected his people? And he gives personal evidence experience to prove nope. And then verses 2 through 10, he's going to give historical evidence. He's going to give historical evidence. Let's jump on in. Here we go. Verse number 1. I'll read it for us. This is personal evidence. I ask then, has God rejected his people? This is the big, overarching question of the text. And the answer is, 
By no means. We've seen that answer a number of times throughout the book of Romans. By no means. For I myself, and, and here comes three things, I am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Okay, so Paul quotes, or he says three things about himself. First, he says, I'm an Israelite, which I'm glad that he starts off with that. If he didn't say otherwise, he would be teaching that God has rejected himself. <laughs> and has God rejected him? No, it would be crazy, right? Because this is not the case. He says that he is a descendant of Abraham. Um, growing up, I sang the song, Father Abraham has many sons. Many sons, that's Father Abraham. Specifically, though, Paul is saying, I am a descendant of Abraham and Sarah. He's not in broad, general sense saying, I'm a son of Abraham, because Muslims can also say that. They are sons of Abraham. So he is deliberately saying, I am a son of Abraham, and Abraham is the father of my faith. He mentions that he's a member of the tribe of Benjamin. If you know a little Old Testament history, you know that Abraham had Isaac, Isaac had Jacob, and Jacob had 12 sons, and the youngest son was Benjamin. Uh, Benjamin was the only son of Jacob to be born in the land of Israel. So there was already a unique facet about the tribe of Benjamin. It was the only tribe in the Old Testament to remain faithful in Judah, and the first king of Israel came from the tribe of Benjamin. Okay? And you're like, all right, Newman, like, get to the point. Here's the point, okay? Paul's saying, hey, I am a Jew. <laughs> and if, if, this, if this thing ain't working for me, it ain't working for anybody. Like, it's a big deal. Okay. So, um, let's, let's keep going. Uh, historical evidence. Historical evidence. Here's verse 2. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. And do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets. They have demolished your altars. And I alone am left. And they seek my life. Okay, so here's where it gets a little bit like a history channel, okay? If, if Paul is appealing to his audience and he's talking about, hey, has God rejected his people? What one Old Testament reference could he bring up that would appeal to this idea of people perhaps feeling the notion of rejection, but God being faithful to preserve a people for himself? And there's probably a number of, of stories that you could think of, but Paul runs to the story of Elijah, okay? And so, just a real quick recap. If you are like me, and if you have any trouble distinguishing Elijah from Elisha, here's a quick little note, okay? Elijah, I remember it as J comes first in the alphabet, and then the Sha. So Jah comes first. So Elijah is older than Elisha. So he's first. And he's the guy. I know. He's the guy that, that calls down fire from heaven. 
Elisha is his disciple. So he appeals to the context of this great man, this prophet, doing great works for God. Okay, let's let's just remember in this story about what Paul is talking about. Okay, um, so Elijah takes on it's like the greatest like showdown in history in the Old Testament. He takes on the prophets of Baal. And he challenges them. And he says, hey, you pray to your gods and I'll pray to mine. Let's both build altars. You build yours, I'll build mine. And you go ahead and go first. And so the prophets of Baal, they look up to the skies and they start praying to, the, to, to their gods. They start cutting themselves, harming. They're screaming out and nothing happens. And hours and hours, they're just appealing, trying to get their God's attention. And it's just silence. You get this like sneak peek into Hebrew trash talking where Elijah like for a second goes, Hey, maybe your God has gone to the bathroom. Hey, maybe your God's taking a nap. Maybe he's on vacation. Is it my turn yet? And so they step aside, and Elijah gets down on his knees and prays. And then he calls some buddies over, and he's like, Hey, would you go fill up some of those jars and like start dumping it on this altar? And so they go, and they just they take these big old jars and dump it on there. And they go, Hey, would you, would you dig a quick trench around this altar? And would you go and fill those jars up again? And they go and fill it up again. Hey, would you just go ahead and do that one more time? And it, and it, and it just filled all of all of the altar all around the trench it was soaked all the wood and everything and then he calls upon the lord now imagine if you were here the heavens opened up i mean could you just can you imagine fire all the way from heaven like god himself sending it down and the text and First Kings describes it as the fire licked up the water and the ashes and everything. It consumed it entirely. And then, if you've read this story in your children's books, it often leaves this part out. But then Elijah went and slaughtered the prophets of Baal. And you would think that Elijah like, is on this spiritual mountaintop at that point. I mean, he just saw the most amazing like, act of history other than maybe the splitting of the Red Sea. You would think he would be so strong and so courageous afterwards. I mean, can you imagine if you experienced something like that? Like, have you ever prayed and you have seen fire fall from heaven? Of course not. <laughs> Me neither. Like, no one has. That was a unique and special act of history. Could God do it again? Of course he could. But you know what? He's, he's too creative to do the same thing twice. I bet though you have seen him work in great ways. I bet you've seen as a result of your faithful obedience to God speaking the truths of the gospel and 
while it's invisible, you visibly see someone give their life to Christ. I bet you've seen that. Or I bet you you've seen a situation where you're sitting with a friend or a daughter or a son or a spouse and you share the Word of God meant to encourage and build and edify and lift them up and you literally see God be the lifter of their heads. I bet you've seen that. There's nothing better than that. I'd rather see that than fire in heaven. But Elijah, after seeing the fire from heaven, is threatened by one woman. Not a whole bunch of prophets from, from Baal, but one woman. And he gets terrified and flees and hides himself in a dark cave. And he finds himself in a very dark place spiritually. He's in a really depressed or, or state of despondency. So much so that he's, he's asking God to take his life. Within a period of 24 hours, friends, spiritual high to absolute valley. And God then comes to him. Here's the question. All right? So God says, hey, arise. Arise, Elijah, which is encouraging in and of itself. And he says, stand here on this mountain. And so this, this angel came to him, gave him some food, and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And then he says, watch this. And the Lord came and passed by. And if you know the story, say it with me. There's a great strong wind that tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. Okay? And watch this. And after the wind, the earthquake, and say it with me, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord. And after the fire, a sound of a low whisper, and when he heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And God spoke Romans 11:4 to him. Would you let your eyes go there with me? Notice Paul's remarks. What, what, what is God's reply to him? Notice that Paul doesn't choose these like, um, witnesses or evidences of experience. He doesn't, he doesn't even say, hey, you've seen the Lord. Hey, a wind passed by, earthquake. You know, he doesn't like appeal to any of those. He goes to a spoken word and he says, what did God say to you? And then he says, I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Isn't that comforting? Hey, church, if you are in a state of depression or despondency, discouragement, you do not have to look for a sign. You don't have to wait for fire to fall from heaven. 
You don't have to um, like climb up on a mountain, stand up on the mount and wait for wind or an earthquake or fires to pass by. You can go to the written word of God. What has already been said to you. Paul would have appealed to experience. But he said, what did God say to him? Notice what he did say to him. I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So basically, God told him, I have not rejected my people. I've always been about the business of preserving a people for myself, for my glory. That's what I did. That's what I do. That's who I am. Uh, why 7,000? Let's just get lost a little bit in the details, okay? Shall we? Because many people wonder why 7,000. Um, oftentimes, um, the Bible uses seven as a number of completeness. Um, and so, in general, I think this, we can understand this to mean that God kept, He saved, He preserved a perfect amount of people. There was no more, no less. That's what He does. And we'll see later in the Scriptures that that's how He's going to fulfill His mission. That He is going to save the wholeness, the perfect amount of the Gentiles, no more, no less. And then one day, it's going to save all the Jews. No more, no less. The perfect amount. Just what he has chosen. Okay. Let's dive into one detail here. Look at the, the, the word Baal. Okay. So in the original manuscript, there's no articles before or after it. It's just, it's just Baal. But Paul inserts the feminine article prior noun. Baal is a masculine noun. When you do that, um, historians have said that if, if scribes or readers, if they were to see a, a, a feminine article before a masculine noun, in this, if they were to see Baal, just Baal, they would say, shame. Okay? But if they were to see the feminine article, say shameful things they wouldn't even say Baal which is interesting and so they haven't bowed their knees to shameful things so this is this is what those 7,000 people are marked by they didn't love they didn't ascribe themselves to shameful things they they lived and gave their allegiance to God and not to heathen deities. So their commitment was to the one and true God. And this is only half of the text that Paul quotes. The other half, you don't need to go there, is 1 Kings 19.18, where it talks about that all the prophets of Baal, that they, they kissed Baal with their mouths, proverbially. It would be like that they gave their very affections and their loves to false things. It was like they were blowing kisses at evil. They were flirting with evil. But not the 7,000. There wasn't a hint of allegiance to evil among the 7,000. 
And friends, that's what it means to be totally surrendered to the Lord. To not, to not give your affections, to not kiss or flirt with anything that is evil. To have a hatred for anything related to what is not of the Lord. Is that how your life is marked? By bowing the knee in total surrender to Christ and His Word? You might respond like, well, I'm not like killing anyone. I'm not in my backyard making gold or silver idols. I don't have like this forge where I'm making big cows out of gold. I think I'm doing fine. I didn't kill anyone or anything this week. But if your heart has the pattern or is marked by a love for things that are not of the Lord, if you don't have a hunger for the things of God, that you seek after Him, if you don't have a hatred for your sin, then you're not marked with loving the Lord. You're marked with loving other things. So summary, has God rejected his people? No. Look at Elijah's day, Paul is saying. God was faithful in the days of Elijah. He was faithful then, and he will be faithful still. God back then spoke to Elijah and reminded him, hey, I preserve the people. Paul in Romans 11 is telling the church, he's saying, hey, look back there. God preserves people. He doesn't reject them. And now I'm telling you today, God is a faithful God and He won't reject His children. That those who are His, He will not leave. He will not abandon. He will not reject. And that is beautiful news. And if there's any temptation for you to be like, ha, ha, He won't reject me because of how I am of how I hold myself, of like how good I am and like all the things that I've done for the Lord. Paul like inserts the gospel in here. Look at verse 5 with me. He reminds us of how salvation works and how the love of God just continually pours out. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by, what does your translation say? That's right. Look at any translation. It's all the same. It's, it's just one word, grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. Just look at verse 2 with me for a second. It says, God's people whom he foreknew. And then in verse 7, it says, and elected. Do you see that? Are both, those, both those terms, foreknew and elected, are couched within the concept of God's grace. And it's not on the basis of works. So remember when we started the discussion on election and predestination in Romans 8, we've got to revisit it again because Paul revisits it. And he reminds us that it is by grace. We use this illustration of a dart against the wall. You remember that? And to say that God elects based off of 
foreknowledge of your good merits, where he knows what you will do. And so therefore, because what your good works will become, therefore he will elect you. We said that's like throwing a dart against the wall, then walking up to the wall and drawing a bullseye around the dart. We said, that's not really how it works. God doesn't choose you based off your own works merits. That wouldn't be right. That wouldn't be grace. Grace would be that God chooses you because you're a wretch, just like me. And he saves and he sanctifies the vilest of sinners, which is me and which is you, which is grace. Election, therefore, friends, should be a word that brings you great comfort and gratitude to God. It should lead you to worship, not to argue with other Christians about doctrinal positions on it. You should, you should hold your hands open and sing songs like Grace, Grace, God's Grace when you're talking about election. Can you set that as a pattern for your life? That'd be a great way to change the tides of Christendom. Let's talk about remnant before we move on to seven. Paul mentions the idea of remnant. He gives them this, this message or this symbol of hope. One commentator writes, it is a group, this is a remnant, a group chosen by God, which Paul finds assurance of God's continual mercies, which will in due course lead to the salvation of all Israel. So this chosen remnant is also by grace. Verse 7, let's read it. What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened. As it is written, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. So look at that word stupor. That means an attitude of spiritual blindness or deafness or deadness. Stupor dash spiritual deadness. It's kind of like uh, in my home when 1030 comes rolling around, my wife she shuts down, okay? She's like brushing her teeth. She's standing in front of the sink, but she has her eyes literally closed, right? After 17 years, I have learned not to start any conversation of substance after 10.30. She is not literally, but she's pretty much dead. She's dead. She just needs to go to bed. Like after 10.30, she is a pumpkin, Okay? Same kind of thing for Israel. They're like, they're walking around. They're like physically there. They're like brushing their teeth and stuff just like us. But they have a spiritual deadness. There's a hardness to their hearts. Don't tell Hannah I compared her to Israel. <laughs> or a pumpkin. <laughs> Good call. Mm. Yes. But check this out. Um, Paul is not just saying, hey, Israel back then, like a historical lesson, or, eh, that's ancient history. Look at that last phrase. 
is to this day. It's this attitude that is carrying on even till today. Spiritual hardness, a rejection towards the Creator. And then Paul quotes Psalm 69. Look at verse 9 with me. This is what we read in communion. We talked about it being a typical prophetic psalm. David writes it in his real experiences. But Paul quotes it to say, yeah, that happened to David, but now I'm talking about Jesus. Okay? Let's, let's read it, but in your Bibles, go ahead and go to Psalm 69. David says, let their table become a snare and a trap a stumbling block and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. We talked about the table as a symbol of hospitality, how the Jewish culture usually rolls out the red carpet for its guests. In this case, David is praying against his enemies, praying for a snare and a trap. But remember, this is about Jesus now. What did they give Jesus Look at the verse right before. Look at verse 21 of Psalm 69. Okay, Psalm 69, verse 21. says, They gave me poison for food, and for my thirst they gave me sour wine to drink. So if you were to follow those little numbers in your Bible, the cross-references, it would lead you to Matthew when Jesus was on the cross, and he cried out, like, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Which is an interesting psalm to quote, considering the context of rejection, isn't it? Jesus Christ himself is saying, why have you forsaken me? And those who are watching, those who are crucifying, instead of hosting Jesus, instead of like, embracing him, they rejected him. How did they reject Jesus? They said, how about we prolong his suffering? How about we like get this concoction of vinegar and we feed it to him so that he will continue to live and suffer because we have such hatred for him. That's what's going on here. You think embraced Jesus? No. They gave him poison for food. And they gave him sour wine to drink. Look at verse 4 in Psalm 69. More in number than the hairs of my head are those who hate me without a cause. Mighty are those who would destroy me, those who attack me with lies. What did I not steal? Must I now restore? So Paul, when he quotes Psalm 69, he wants us to understand the whole psalm. He's like, hey, go back to the whole thing. Hey, David, a Jewish king, experienced this. Do you know any other Jewish kings who experienced this same kind of hatred? This same kind of rejection? This same kind of punishment as a result of innocent living? Of course. It's our King Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says that He made Him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God. He didn't deserve sin, but He became sin for us, that we might know Him 
and be found in him as righteous. Look at verse 20 of Psalm 69. Reproaches have broken my heart so that I am in despair. Do you know of any other Jewish kings that collapsed when they were praying because they were in despair? It's not about David. This is about Jesus. And it's about Israel rejecting Jesus. And that's why Paul ends this portion of Scripture in verse 10, back in Romans now, Romans 11.10, where he says, Let their eyes, this is the nation of Israel, be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. God had enough of their rejection. And in 70 AD, the temple was wiped out and the people were scattered. And it was almost like, in a sense, God said, back to Egypt with you. Like, so that their backs would be bent forever. God has a plan for Israel. And we can trust him that he will bring the fullness of the Gentiles in. And he will also one day bring in the fullness of Israel. For today, though, what do I need to know? What do we need to know? Number one, here's three things, and then we'll close our time together. God has not rejected his people. Number one, God has not rejected his people. He's faithful to his word and his promises. So you might go, okay, well, how do I know if I'm not rejecting him? Like, what do I do? And I would say from this text, like the language that would be consistent in order to call God's people to follow him in obedience would be this. Number two, you need to bow down. You need to humble yourself and not be marked with loves for evil. Not kissing the things that God finds abhorrent. Not flirting with the things of this world. That's how the 7,000 were marked. They were marked by not bowing down to Baal. So friends, everything in your life subjected and under the reign and rule of King Jesus. Now that's the principle. You might go like this though. Okay, I'm in. How do I do that though? Like, in this text... How could we say how to walk with God and have our lives be submitted to the rule and reign of Jesus? And I would just end where we started. Look at what Paul did. I think we could model that. Read the words of King Jesus. Like, read his words and follow him. Are you in the scriptures? Do you know what he has said? Monday morning rolls around. If you are not seeking and searching after what he has said to your children, then you'll miss out on the blessing for Monday. Read his words and follow him. Let's pray. So, Father...
we thank you that you have not rejected your people, that you are faithful, you remain faithful, and you continue to work in our lives so that your faithfulness is seen. Lord, would you help us this week in the battle to follow after you? This war that is that is it's raging within us. Would you help us to say no to evil things? Lord, that we would stay far away, and when we're tempted, that we would choose rightly, and that our choices would reflect a heart that is bowed down to you. And Lord, we can't conjure up cool ideas of how to bow down or what it means to bow down. We need to hear from you, and we're so grateful that you have provided in your scriptures the clear path what it means to bow down to you. Would the gathering be a people that is marked by being bowed down? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with us? We'll close in worship. And if the Lord has moved in your life this morning, worked in any way, um, if you need to pray with anyone, I would encourage you to pull someone aside, go off to the wings and say, hey, there is something in my life that, I'm, that I need help with, that I need full surrender. Would you pray with me? And let's be a people of prayer as we walk together.